Una de las especies más peculiares del mundo latino es el Padreus protectorus, que vive colgado encima de sus hijos como un koala. Vamos contigo por si le pasa algo a tu auto. Mamá, voy a estar bien. Pero este instinto sobreprotector se está extinguiendo, porque State Farm está ahí las 24 horas y los necesitas. Así que los padres finalmente están soltando a sus hijos a la naturaleza. Nos mandas fotos. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Llama para obtener una cotización hoy. It was really a cult led by Chad Daybell. And the teachings of the group were basically, Chad is always right. Uh, when in doubt, ask Chad. And uh, basically, he was saying the end of the world, the end of the world, which was his way, in my opinion, of leveraging control over these people. Welcome to the global phenomenon, surviving the survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And tonight, you get the survivor in Surviving the Survivor. Carm is here in three dimensions. <laughs> it is uh, almost week five of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial set to kick back off tomorrow. And uh, some court watchers expect that it could be over uh, as soon as the end of this week. So we will see. Uh, tonight, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a look inside Lori's circle of friends and some of her family and uh, ask the question, what in the hell was going on here? And could anyone have stepped in to help? Of course, it is the trial of the so-called doomsday mom, the wildly twisted story of a seemingly loving mother a self-proclaimed devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who clearly veered way off course and became involved in the deaths of as many and some as five people, some say six, including her own children. Best guests, we welcome back one of the preeminent thought leaders on cults in all the world. Rick Ross is a cult intervention specialist and frequently a court expert witness concerning groups called cults. He was contacted by the grandparents of JJ, so he knows this case intimately, and he is the founder and executive director of the Cult Education Institute and the author of Cults Inside Out. I dare you to tell me one person who knows more about cults than Rick Ross. And then the new female face on the show, is Dr. Carol Lieberman, better known as America's psychiatrist. She is a three-time honoree by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Daytime Emmy Awards. She was a talk show host of Dr. Carol's Couch. You might recognize her from little shows like Oprah, Larry King Live, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, CNN, Fox News, the BBC. It goes on and on and on. She's the best-selling author of many books, among which are Bad Boys, Carmela, Bad Boys, like me, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them, perfect title for me and you, and Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. And uh, I don't know if she still does, but at one point had a very bustling private practice in Beverly Hills. You still have it, Dr. Lieberman? Yes, yes. Yes, she does. And then we've got Robin Dreek, the friendly face on your screen. He's a best-selling author, a professional speaker, a trainer, an executive coach, a podcast host, a Marine Corps officer, and a retired FBI special agent. He was chief of the Counterintelligence Behavior Analysis Program. One of his many jobs 
was recruiting spies. And he is author of The Code of Trust, and it's not all about me. Like that title, Carmela? It's not all about me. There's, and, uh, but it was used up. You cannot use it, unfortunately. It was used up. My mother's favorite thing that she says to me, jo Joanne, it's not all about you. But uh, I like to think that it is. But that is a quote. So, Robin, you stole that right out of my mom's mouth. May I say I did. Things? You may say two things. Okay. I have usually. I I'm, used to have a teacher's assistant when I taught way back when, remember? And I said, Jeanette, she was Dominican. And, she, and I would say, Jeanette, can I ask you something? And she would say ask two things so go ahead no i want to say that i usually don't get intimidated by the guests mm. i almost never and we do this for over two years but today i am a little intimidated i am warning you and she should be as because we have the best guests in yeah, all of true crime what we put what you put together Carm hates when i do this but i'll do it anyway you can follow us on facebook insta twitter i tweet out to showtimes at podcast sts you can also listen with your ears anywhere you listen to podcasts you can subscribe as a youtube member or on patreon and believe it or not, our merchandise store is up, and I'm working to get a CARM, a specific CARM piece of merch on there, but uh, the links are in all our bios on all those sites. So uh, without further ado, uh, Rick Allen Ross, I think people think uh, cults are, you know, very, you hear about it sort of infrequently. Um, so I think in the public's uh, perception, it is not that common. But when we uh, were emailing today, uh, you actually gave me a breakdown of the current cult stories, including the starvation deaths of over 100 cult members in Kenya, mostly children that are going on right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Danny Masterson and, of course, Lori Vallow. What's happening in Kenya very quickly and also with Danny Masterson before we get cracking here? Well, there was a, a group called Good News International Church led by Paul McKenzie and Mackenzie encouraged his followers to believe that the end of the world was imminent and that they needed to starve themselves and fast and pray to be ready for the end. And so many of them died. Over 100 bodies have been recovered in Kenya. And the group, interestingly, is kind of an offshoot of an American cult uh, led by a man by the name of William Branham. And his followers were called the Branhamites. And they believed in a peculiar doctrine called the serpent seed, which basically posits the idea that Eve had sex with Satan in the Garden of Eden in the form of a snake. And that their, their uh, posterity, you know, their, their children and their descendants are cursed. And depending on which group you're in, that could be black people are cursed, white people are cursed, whatever. But uh, Paul McKenzie was more or less a spinoff of the Branhamites. And I think he's now in custody and one other pastor associated with him has also been arrested. And in the Danny Masterson case, I know there was a mistrial the first time around. Uh, he's that 70s star. That yeah, is, you know. He's like involved with the Scientology church, right? Well, Danny Masterson is alleged to have raped a number of women, all of whom were at the time Scientologists. And there's the, the gist of it, which is that they were encouraged, they say, to remain silent and that Scientology, according to the women who have testified in court, 
urged them to keep their mouth shut and they protected Danny Masterson. Uh, so now uh, this is the second trial. I think the judge is going to allow more testimony about Scientology than in the previous trial, which uh, goes to the point of why the women were silent for so long. And, in, and this also that they were, they say, harassed and stalked by Scientology to reinforce their silence. And so, Rick, bottom line question, are cults much more prevalent than one like myself might think? Yes. I would say that going back to 1982, when I started my work, that I cannot think of any time that there have been as many groups as there are now. And I think because of the advent of the Internet, uh, the online re recruitment of groups uh, that have been called cults, is, is prolific. I mean, it's being launched on social media platforms like Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube. It's amazing how the internet has really become more of a tool for cult recruitment than a source of information to protect people from being involved. And uh, Dr. Lieberman, to you, I mean, Rick just sort of outlined why he thinks, you know, he just said since 1982, he can't remember a time that cults have been more prevalent. He just uh, pointed to social media and technology as one of the reasons uh, we're seeing such a prevalence. What's your take on all this uh, insanity in the world surrounding us? Well, first of all, Freud would have a field day with the idea of Eve having sex with the snake. He <laughs> <laughs> don't have a field day with this. Me and my it's, mom hosting. That's listen, what, the snake is <laughs> I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were going to say my mom and I hosting, but I felt better when she said, yeah, the snake is phallic. It's paranoid. But, but he caught it from me. But Dr. Lieberman, continue. I apologize. Well, just um, a couple of things. First of all, it's kind of like terrorists, um, <coughs> excuse me, recruiting from the internet. Um, you know, people are looking for a purpose. People are so lost and confused and looking to belong, looking for a purpose. Uh, a lot of this had to do with the lockdowns and so on, and people having more time to spend on the internet than ever before. And so we're more vulnerable to these kinds of things, to people who you know, convince us um, to follow them in various ways. Um, Abby Taha writes, buckle up, STS Nation. We're about ready to get Rick Ross rolled. We've got Carm on the case and the number one podcast host of all time. How kind of you. Love you, Planet Earth. Carmi, Rick Ross, STS Nation, followed by Frankie Figs, a fan of the show. Hello, STS Nation. Uh, followed by David, a Jersey guy. Greetings from true crime aficionados. And I love this comment. Carm, pay attention. You're, you can't nod off this early in the show. Richard, you. Richard Lodwick says... We plan our evenings around STS, retired chocolate ice cream and chips, letter top. I love the retired, Carm. You should be retired, but I make you work. Uh, Robin Drake, you recruited spies for a living. Um, you understand human behavior. You were part of that uh, unit in the FBI. Uh, just what is your 360 kind of bird's eye view of this Lori Vallow Daybell case? Um, where does it rank on the uh, nuttiness? Uh, <laughs> <spectrum>? <laughs> it's the technical term nuttiness, along with the term of uh, well, it all spurs from a broken brain. Yeah. Um, those are the technical terms. It ranks up there, you know, but boy, 
when we look at her pattern behavior for her entire life, that's what becomes really, really clear and evident. It started very, very young, I believe, especially since I, her, her, one of her sisters that died, I think, in 98. I think that was the first time that we're seeing some suspicious activity going on in that household. And if you just look at a pattern of her life of being self-centered, look at me, look at me, look at me, being a wound collector and just having that victim mentality throughout her life and the way she's interacted with people and wanting the center of attention on her, it, it's, it's fitting the arc of her entire life. And then when you overlay that on us as human beings and our evolution, great book out on called Sapiens, you know, a lot of this is because of our desire and need to communicate. And that's what these cults are doing. I, and I'm, I'm like you all, I'm sitting back and listening to the experts on this one though. Um, I've already dove into um, the the great book on the, on the great cult master with us. So thank you. <laughs> um, well, I think it would be easy to just say that she's crazy. If we would say she's crazy, then we could all pack up and go home because it's more complex than that. Um, and that's why it's very interesting to look at the circle that she was involved with. Carmen chimed in at the perfect time because Janet with a sunflower next to her name Hi, hi all. Looking forward to hearing Miss Carm's take on Lori and uh, Carrie responding to Janet says me too. So you're a licensed therapist, Carm, and you've had some time to reflect on the, on all this. So you don't think it's just, uh, she's not just crazy. What else no, is going on? it would be an easy way out. We would finish, you know, we would declare her psychotic or whatever we would declare her and we could go home. But I think it's more more complicated than that and what makes it interesting and this was my idea this was not your idea correct it was my idea to look at the people that she involved in this or that that were involved in this and um and that makes it more interesting it's a very small nucleus a very small group but the group gives her additional strength and additional room to go crazy this um Lovely woman here in her early 80s. I won't reveal the exact age. No, it's 83 and a half. 83 and a half. She goes and, and she checks the uh, the numbers after every show that she is on. Not that I'm on, but that she is on. <laughs> and she only looks up the numbers that I'm on to compare to see how she's doing. So now mm -hmm. it has inspired her so much. She said, get me a great, she, she didn't say please. She said, get me a great panel on Lori's Inside Circle. And I got her the best Ladies panel. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, can I is. just present my my side of the situation? <laughs> he, I only work, I'm semi-retired now. I only uh, come in and it's not work, it's pleasure. I only do it Sunday nights. And Sunday nights, inavoidably. Unavoidably. He, unavoidably. Or inevitably. Inevitably. <laughs> he chooses a topic that's totally not part of what he did the whole week, that's completely on the outside of, the, of, of what was discussed. And, of course, for that reason alone, I get lower ratings than you do. By the way, STS Nation knows this, but I have signed my first official book deal. And the now book, he's bragging. And the book will have the same title as the podcast, and it is Life Advice from My Mother Carmela, the Holocaust Survivor and the Licensed Therapist. And in there, she will be exposed because I'm writing the book and not her. So you will see and hear all the things that really go on. And some of the foul language that she forgets 
to not use when I am recording <laughs> and have audio recordings of it. Um, moving on here, Carm, we digress. Wait, 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 wait. I have to show them this. Right, Carm, are you really, is she really getting up mid-show? This is, this is unbelievable. <laughs> it's good of you to mom. sitting there. This is a carton cut out of myself. Cardboard cut out. Cardboard. Carm, we're in the middle of a no, show but here. I, it's very uncomfortable. I'm going to move it away because it's staring at me. <laughs> okay, so we're moving on here. We've got uh, Scotland in the house here uh, with their best guest. So, um, Rick, I think a good way to do this is Carmela gave me a list of some people she wanted to examine. Zulema Pastenis, if I'm saying, I never know how to say her last name. She is the widow of um, Alex Cox, who many think was heavily involved in a lot of these murders, if not all. I believe they were married like two weeks before he died of natural causes. Some say that he committed suicide. Um, and when she took the stand in the trial, she had an odd, uh, she said that Alex, uh, her husband, had an odd reaction. And she was in this um, inner circle an odd reaction to shooting Charles Vallow. He claimed he shot Charles Vallow in self-defense. So Zulema on the stand says, I asked him if he was okay after he had just shot someone, she said. I thought he would be like in shock or struggling with what had happened. And he said, Zulema, he was a zombie. Uh, Rick, break that down for us. Okay, so in this particular group, Chad Daybell taught that if uh, that people could be spiritually possessed by demonic spirits and that they were no longer in their body but possessed and their spirits were kind of uh, in the dock waiting to be delivered. And the only way that they could be saved, they could be delivered, would be that that body, uh, that body had to be killed. And then uh, when, when he would say zombies, what he meant is the person you know is no longer in that body. It's possessed. And the only hope that that person's spirit has is that that body is destroyed. So this was Daybell's way of basically cutting people off from their loved ones, isolating them, which is a hallmark of destructive cults. And just to walk it back and contextualize the whole thing. Chad Daybell was a self-proclaimed prophet who wrote these doomsday books predicting the end of the world. And he targeted a group called Preparing a People. And this was a group of Mormons, largely, who were thinking about the end of the world and preparing themselves for perhaps a calamity of some sort. And of course, Mormons believe that it is a good idea to store food and be prepared if there is a crisis. And so he preyed on these people, he himself being a Mormon and a graduate of BYU. You could see it as a kind of affinity fraud where, you know, like uh, Bernie Madoff targeted Jews. Uh, this man, Chad Daybell, targeted Mormons. And Lori Vallow read his books, became enamored with him, and he basically targeted her. And he sucked her into this very small group of people that he gathered in Rexburg, Idaho, to meet the end of the world. And of course, along the way, he's collecting insurance money, and people are dying. His wife dies, he gets insurance money. L Lori Vallow's husband, Charles Vallow, dies. Uh, there's insurance money, but 
she doesn't quite get it. And uh, this goes on and on with different people. But it was really a cult led by Chad Daybell. And the teachings of the group were basically, Chad is always right. Uh, when in doubt, ask Chad. And uh, basically, he was saying the end of the world, the end of the world, which was his way, in my opinion, of leveraging control over these people, uh, basically having them in fear of the end and a sense that the only safety they could count on would be Chad. And, and Rick, I don't think this came up as my voice cracks at 53. I don't think this came up um, in the last podcast we had, Jan, but... Um, you talked how he was preying on, you know, some members of the uh, LDS church uh, and, and end times was uh, an issue and uh, this doomsday prepping. So did, did COVID, I mean, COVID must have played a role in this, right? Because this happened, was happening around the time of the pandemic, too. Uh, that must have played into the fear factor, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, these end times prophets, whether it's Chad Daybell or Paul McKenzie in Kenya, it's the same modus operandi. It's the same routine. Uh, play on whatever is in the current news. Uh, basically uh, focus like a laser on negative things and create fear. Uh, fear that the end is imminent. Fear that uh, there's going to be a crisis. And the only protection you have is the leader. Uh, the leader will keep you safe. And then what Daybell did was he did what you know has been done over and over again which he said, there is a place of safety. There is a place that you must go to be safe. And that place was Rexburg, Idaho. And this is common. Is it common that they, they put fear in your heart and then they say, I am the only one who can help you with this and overcome this? Is this oh. like a pattern? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's one. It, there's only one solution, and it's the leader of the group and all other religious organizations, political organizations. Everything else is is wrong, is bad, and the people you love, unless they get on board and are totally supportive, they're they're negative. They're zombies. There's something wrong with them. And I think that cult leaders uh, prey on the vulnerabilities of, of their victims. So as was mentioned, uh, you know, Lori Vallow was narcissistic. Uh, she had her troubled marriages. I think Chad Daybell is her fourth marriage. Yeah. Uh, and and so, so this was her vulnerability, that he preyed on her vanity. He preyed on her narcissism. He told her she would be a god, uh, that they would be exalted, that they had a special mission, a special purpose. And Lori Vallow had always been very religious, and uh, but she had always also been a good mother. I mean, the grandparents of JJ said that they were shocked at, at how this played out because she had always been a good mother, attentive, caring. Uh, so I think we need to look at Chad Daybell and realize he's a predator and probably a psychopath. I, I, I also think, and the, the uh, panel should uh, let me know what you think, but I also think that the, this physical attraction that developed between them kind of muddied the waters uh, a little bit also. 
And what I find very interesting that basically they were talking about being the leaders of 144,000 and and uh, getting involved on that number level. But in reality, they were a very, very small group. Uh, I think it was about a half a dozen. Was half it? a dozen, and they would eliminate people. I think if somebody wasn't completely devoted to uh, Chad, they would get rid of them on any grounds. But at the same time, there was this physical attraction and this maybe even emotional attraction. They were selective. And uh, by the way, Chad is husband number five, for those keeping score. Oh. Old Lady Scoop writes, I'm not sure what I did with my life before STS, Carm. I can tell you this. It was nothing near as interesting nor satisfying. Many thanks to you, Joel, Carm, and all the best guests. Very flattering. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. He only reads the flattering ones. And then it says hit the like button and share on your social media. Sharing on social media would be very, very a, a beautiful thing. Dr. Lieberman, also, I know uh, you're probably thinking, what did I get myself into? But okay. I know at the top of the hour, uh, you have a, a uh, have to head out. So. Uh, when that time comes, you know, just give me the old wink and we'll let you go. But um, Zulema, this ex-sister-in-law of Lori Vallow, said in talking to Lori Vallow, Lori told her that she, Lori, believed her son JJ had been attacked by demons and that daughter Ty Lee had been possessed by an evil spirit. Now, if Lori Vallow came into your office and said this to you, that my son was attacked by demons uh, my daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. Um, what would your reaction be um, from a psychiatric standpoint? Well, of course, I would have to start by thinking that this is a psychotic delusion. And in fact, um, I think that Lori and Chad actually were in a folie a deux, a shared delusion between the two of them, that of this, you know, all this, the zombies and the end of the world and all of that. And, um, you know, that it, they did, they weren't so deluded that they couldn't use it as an excuse to kill people. They did use that um, to manipulate people and to have it be uh, a, a good explanation for why they killed all the people that they did. But, you know, I want to say that um, I agree, of course, that Chad was a predator and everything. But, you know, I think Lori um, really she she was trying to trap Chad. I mean, it wasn't just one way, in other words. She was very attracted to Chad. Um, she, Chad was a kind of bad boy, and she um, was attracted to him because it had to do with, just like with all kinds of bad boys, the women who are have a, a dysfunctional relationship with their father, uh, depending upon the kind of relationship that is, they're attracted to certain kinds of bad boys. And it turns out that Laurie's father was quite a character. Um, you know, he was someone who was in a way, in a way was similar to Chad, not, not in the same kind of religion, but he thought of himself as, um, I mean, he thought of himself as a prophet too, a religious prophet. And, um, there is question about whether, you know, there was a lot of dysfunction in the family and there's question about sexual boundaries and all of that. So, yes, it does play a role, too. It's not just the religion and it's not just the money. It's also um, the sexual attraction between the two of them. And then and then there is Melanie Gibb, because the topic tonight is to talk about their circle. 
And Melanie Gibb was like, my fantasy is like the lady in waiting. For, she was for the best friend. Lori. She was the best friend until she pushed it a little too far and asked them to lie that the, the children were with her when they were already dead. And that's right. when, But for many, many months, many months, more than a year, uh, there was a relationship. And what's interesting about the M Melanie Gibb and and what uh, is uh, Zulema Pastanes is that they are uh, they have verbal skills they are educated they are bright and they were raised in this religion the mainstream religion and some of the concepts are not alien to them but at this point they're both divorced and they're looking for they're looking for something like we are all looking for something. So they are looking for something, and they they stumble into this. And Zulema uh, actually is told to marry. Um, Correct. She's basically ordered to do this. Um, ordered. Robin, yes. to you, um, Zulema, speaking of Zulema, uh, in both testimony and to reporters, said that Alex Cox, her husband and Lori's brother, believed everything that Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell told him, literally believed everything. That is the quote about possessed people, including this whole notion of a light and dark soul, mm -hmm. a rating scale and evil spirits. Um, the bigger question, which I should have asked uh, in a Freudian, to the Freudian expert, and I'll go back and do that as well. What do you think, I mean, you, you're a behavior analysis specialist, was going on in this um, brother-sister relationship. It was certainly um, was unhealthy at the very least, at the most, maybe incestuous. Yeah, just a lot of unhealthy right there. And I'm still in the camp of this is an arc in, in Lori Daybell's life. I mean, she wasn't just met Chad Daybell and all of a sudden everything went sideways. It was just more of the same things that were going on unhealthy and for a very long time. This is her fifth husband, meaning that there was a lot of unhealthy things going on be before that. What I really see is the, the crux here that they were doing that – was helpful to Lori Debell and Chad as well as their undoing was they were using a technique for dehumanizing human beings by calling them zombies and saying that they've been possessed and even giving them a different name. So it makes eliminating them, not like someone's killing a person or doing harm against a person. It's an object mm. which made it easier to manipulate people. But what they didn't count on was that the religious um, foundation it sounds like with these this inner circle was stronger than that objectification that what helped those women say hey something's not right here that's not what you should be doing so the t inner circle was tight because chad and her made them feel safe that is the basic human motivation for everything is they want to feel safe when they're feeling disenfranchised and if they accentuate that but at the same time though they played on a, a, a trigger here that they can overcome this, their, their own sense of humanity in the two women, I think. And Rick, is this a common thing, what uh, Robin was just mentioning, like kind of giving it a label to dehumanize the people within a cult? And also, is there usually typically an inner circle that the cult leader trusts the three or four or five people uh, within that circle? 
Yes. I mean, there usually is a hierarchy within a group and the leader is at the top, a pyramid scheme of authority uh, with little, if any, accountability for the leadership. Uh, and when we're looking at this um, particular dehumanizing of people in a, in a cult, uh, there's a book that is quite instructive that I footnote throughout my book, which is uh, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism by Robert J. Lifton, a psychiatrist who taught at Harvard Medical School, wrote the book in 1961, uh, studied POWs in North Korean POW camps to understand how they were broke down and changed and manipulated. And Lifton gave eight criteria that you could recognize whether or not an organization or a leader was using a thought reform program. He said if six of them are evident, a thought reform program is ongoing. One of those eight criteria is what Lifton calls the dispensing of existence, hmm. which is exactly what we're talking about, the dehumanizing of people. So, for example, in Scientology, uh, they will mark someone who is critical of Scientology uh, and ask too many questions as potentially an SP, a suppressive person. Uh, and if you associate with an SP, you could be called a PTS, a potential trouble source, which is why many people think Tom Cruise has nothing to do with his daughter, Suri, because uh, Katie Holmes is an SP. I, I think uh, it's fair to say. And so this is the the dynamic that that dispenses with the existence of people uh, that that someone would love someone, their daughter, uh, their their child. But the leader finds a mechanism to dispense with their existence. And when we go back to the Nazi Third Reich, for example, what Goebbels did was he he said that Jews were to be compared to rats infesting the motherland. And they would actually have these propaganda films showing uh, stereotypical Jews and then showing rats going uh, across uh, boats into uh, the dock, into the country infesting. And so the idea was to equate the Jew to the rat and therefore, genocide became a crime of logic. Uh, that is, what do you do with rats? You get rid of them. And so the, 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 there's this same kind of dynamic going on in many destructive cults, which is to dehumanize and, and essentially dispense with the existence of people that you don't like, that you don't want, or that might offer a competing narrative for what you're indoctrinating your followers to believe. Super fascinating. Uh, Dr. Lieberman, back to you, because I'm curious about your take on this relationship between uh, Lori Vallow and her brother, Alex Cox, who many believe is responsible uh, for most, if not all of these deaths. Um, again, at the very least, it was an odd relationship and at the very worst, possibly incestuous. How do you read it? I wouldn't be surprised that it was incestuous. I mean, she had to wield uh, a lot of power over him in order to get him to kill all these people. So um, that sex would have been one way to do that. It, it, I mean, it really is unusual, you know, for someone to be able to convince their sibling. Um, and he wasn't really, you know, she, he, whatever he believed in terms of the religion, 
he got from her. One of the things I wanted to mention, though, you were talking about Melanie Gibbs. Um, what I think is fascinating is how Melanie Gibbs, you know, did stand by Laurie for quite some time. But then uh, at some point, you know, she gave interviews and so on. She, she taped the phone call with Laurie and Chad. And then she gave interviews and she kind of sold Laurie out. Now, I think that that's because um, she was jealous of Laurie. You know, they both went to this this um, book, um, what was it, a, a book reading or a book, some some like conference. Conference. Where Chad, conference. Yeah, where, where Chad was. And so, you know, Chad was the leader of the whole thing. And um, so there would have been a competition between Laurie and Melanie to get Chad, but, you know, Laurie won. So I think Melanie has been sort of harboring resistance um, resentment towards Lori for some time, and now she finally has her day to be able to throw her under the bus. Carm, there's a question for you from uh, Kathleen Barrett, which I'd love everyone else to weigh on and weigh in on once you do. Uh, do you think Lori's friends are guilty of any wrongdoing, Carm? Yeah, when I was uh, trying to find out more about them, I asked the same question, and. Uh, I tried to understand where they were coming from. Uh, and just to, I will give a very long answer, uh, just to contrast it with a, a woman called April uh, Raymond, I think, who was her friend in Hawaii when she went, she lives in Hawaii and she was her friend. And this friend, she also tried to, uh, uh, draw into the the group and the friend absolutely from the very beginning said I don't believe in this told directly to Lori Lori was trying to pull her in and she refused to do it these women for whatever their motivations were and and I think uh, Sulema and and um, and uh, Melanie. Melanie both uh, were in a certain way, attracted to Lori's charisma because she she has the beautiful looks, the 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 smart, clever. They were attracted to her, and they were accepting of her teachings. And she wasn't even doing the teaching herself. It was, she was like the medium through whom the teachings were. So, what was the first question that they asked me? What was if the they committed any wrongdoing, Carmela? Uh, I think I was thinking of this, that in a certain way, they went along with it way too long. Uh, Melanie stopped a little earlier and Sulema got involved with marrying the brother and then being married to him only two weeks. And then uh, he, he died and then she had to deal with that and she was divorced. Yeah, I mean, Robin, you were sorry. Sorry know. to cut so you let, off. There, no, 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 you don't. You, you, oh, you know why it's so polite. People say it cuts me off. I, I didn't um, mean to cut you off. I, it was a natural reaction because Robin worked for the FBI, obviously a law enforcement agency. But I think that it's a very tricky question. I think they are responsible. Well, let's let Robin have a shot at Robin. I mean, you're a former law enforcement guy. Um, do you think that sort of the um, I don't know, the blasé attitude, the inaction from some of these friends to say, hey, these people are crackpots um, and call them out. Um, are they culpable in any way, do you think? Uh, crackpots in the eye of the beholder. 
you know, and that's what culture all about is just what they knew about wrongdoing and what they knew about something illegal going on from their perspective, what you can prove what they knew and when they knew it and when then what they did about it when they knew about it. Um, so morally and ethically, that's a different argument than legally. And so legally, I'm not see- from anything we've seen so far from testimony. Uh, I don't see anything that would make them culpable legally from it. And again, they it, it's fascinating listening to them on the stand talking about wrongdoing and them being credible. And yet they're still a little off. <laughs> you know, it, it's really fascinating seeing that they're all a little bit off. And yet you still have to take their word for what's going on, even though they're still a little off. Um yeah. Because it, it it's it's just really it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, this would be uh, if you were in high school, it'd be the interesting table in the yeah. uh, in, in the lunchroom or the it's cafeteria. Table is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a big quick shout out to Marina, a big friend of the show in the south of Spain, as well as Tali coming to us from the Holy Land in Israel, and uh, we've got Sydney, Australia, Bex in the house as well. Um, Dr. Lieberman, Raul Thomas says, Lori had a lot of recent quote unquote best friends. Where were her longtime real friends? Uh, what do you think this dynamic was like for her? I mean, she had, she was on her fifth husband, uh, obviously, uh, at one point appeared to be a decent mother, but what about her issues with friendship? I know her father spent time, uh, incarcerated. Was this just bad learned behavior um, and why do you think she may have had an inability to keep friends long term? Well, I think that Lori's diagnosis, I've been sort of pondering this from the beginning. Um, I think that she may either be bipolar, manic depressive or um, or schizoaffective, schizophrenic um, or or and or borderline. And um, so, you know, we've talked about how she's narcissistic and all that. People who always want attention for themselves don't usually have many friends and certainly don't keep them over the years because people get sick of, you know, it all being about them, the, this other, this person, the person who wants it to always be about them. So I think that, um, you know, I think that when people um, weren't useful to her anymore, that she just uh, stopped, you know, continuing to have a relationship with them. Carm, you're lucky I never make it about myself. Uh, Dandelion Girl says, question, uh, Rick, this one's for you. Did this small group of followers wonder why their group was so small? Um, the cult members ever question why there's not a bigger following? And I think this has been the case with even some other, I think I think we talked about this last time. I want to say Heaven's Gate wasn't nearly as big, I don't think, as I, I it, it was perceived in the media to be, right? Well, Heaven's Gate in the end was like 39 people. And uh, Marshall Applewhite, the leader, uh, and Bonnie Nettles, who led with him until she died uh, not long before the end from cancer, uh, you know, it was never a big group. And I think that they felt, and groups like this feel, we are the elite. We are the, the, the absolute select. And the fact that we're a small group is is just all the more about how precious this group is and how important this group is. And of course, Chad Daybell, like many people said, oh, you know, there are going to be 144,000 in the end. So he certainly gave himself room for growth. 
But uh, it's not surprising that uh, there weren't that many people. Daybell, not being a very charismatic leader, kind of an introvert, I, I kind of see him as fitting the pattern of a kind of covert narcissist. But um, And then when you look at, at Lori Vallow and you watch her through this whole thing, she seems so disconnected from reality. And it, it reminds me of Charlie Manson and, and his very small group that followed him and these very young girls that were completely disconnected from reality during their trial. And Manson, who was convicted for murder, even though he was not physically involved, uh, he weaponized them, he manipulated them, he controlled them. And I think that we can look at their lives and see that their violence, the, the murders that they committed, uh, like Leslie Van Houten, who stabbed you know Mrs. LaBianca 26 times, uh, that was an anomaly in, in her life. She was a good prisoner. And before that, she was not a violent person. But Manson was able to affect her in a way that changed her completely for a period of time. And I think to some extent, uh, Lori Vallow has been impacted in that way. But at the same time, uh, I would not support uh, Leslie Van Houten being released from prison any more than I would ignore the, the horrific nature of what has happened uh, with Lori Vallow and her family. I, I think that's the sad thing. You, you cross a line and brainwashing or undue influence might be mitigating regarding your sentencing, but it doesn't get you off. Uh, I know that in Idaho you don't you cannot claim mental illness as a as a way as to, a defense as a defense. But on the other hand, why did uh, Lori Vallow waive that possibility completely? Uh, so that topic is completely off the of the charts. Rick, any thoughts on that? Why she would have just completely waived that right? Well, I think that she is a true believer. I mean, my impression of watching her uh, and 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 you know observing how she's responding in in the courtroom, it it just seems to me that that she's disconnected from reality. She still believes that she's on a divine mission, and uh, she doesn't want people to think that she's mentally ill. She's fighting that, saying no, you know, I'm not delusional. This is real. Uh, and what we did is real. And imagine uh, the, the, the alternative, which is why so many cult members are so loyal for so long after they've given up so much. Uh, she has a sense of equity. She sacrificed her children. She sacrificed her entire life for Chad Daybell and what he told her was real. And for her to reject that now and say, I was mentally ill, means that she did it all for nothing. And I've encountered many cult members over the years who have had that kind of dilemma. Do I say that in the end, uh, David Koresh, for example, uh, his prophecies didn't come true? He's dead. So does that mean that he's a fraud and that I gave up my family and everything for nothing? And so I think what we're seeing with Lori Vallow is this uh, way in which she... Uh, quite frankly, is spinning this so that she feels that she has made a sacrifice to a higher purpose, to God, 
and that way she can justify it. I mean, when the reality sets in, which it eventually will, I think, she's going to realize that all of this, all of these terrible things that she's done or participated in uh, were for a man that was just a fraud and who probably will try to throw her under the bus when he's on trial. And it's interesting that uh, Rick brought up uh, Charles Manson. Other people have brought it up in relation to this case because uh, it appears that maybe Alex was doing the dirty work and not committing uh, the physical uh, act of uh, that, that Lori was not physically committing the act of murder. Uh, Dr. Lieberman, to you, what's the deal with this guy, Chad? Um, he seems to be a bit of a putz, not very charismatic, dopey. Um, how in the world does this guy become a, a cult leader? And why would Lori Vallow, at one time, um, by many people's opinions, uh, an attractive woman, why would uh, she fall for him? And uh, how did he ever get into this quote unquote leadership position? Well, it's really interesting that before becoming a leader um, and writing all these books and so on, he was a grave digger. Which I mean, the irony of that, with you know all the great the graves that he did ultimately, well, or Alex did, but that he had dug for uh, him in regard to the to these people who uh, were killed. Um, you know, I think that he was very easily uh, seduced by Laurie. I think that he, um, you know, that that made him bigger in a sense uh, in his own mind than he was before. Um, you know, it, it's, and of course, his wife, Tammy, who uh, they killed, and, you know, 28 years um, with Tammy, and then, of course, Lori Vallow comes, you know, tossing her blonde hair and, uh, and being seductive towards him. He gave that up. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, though, Lori's um, father, he t used to tell her about how their family, um, most people are sheep, and they're not attractive and they're dull and all that. 95% of the people are like that. But only 5% are smart and attractive and everything. And we, the, the you know, our family are part of this 5%. So she, so it was easy for her to fall into the belief that, because she wanted to be sort of the queen of the world. And so it was easy for her to fall into the belief that she would be the queen and Chad would be the king and, you know, they would rule the world. And it just, you know, they each fit into each other's um, psyche, like what they were looking for, what they had always wanted. And it made it easier. You know, religion was just the how they fit it all together on the outside. But really, it was psychological. Chad seems more like a 99 percenter, not a 5 percenter to me, but. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Carm, you'd like to chime in here. Yes. You're fired up tonight. You want to show these powerful guests that you are powerful. Absolutely. So go okay. for it. Now I forgot. This is another thing. We so are. now we will continue. Meg P no, wait, says, wait while you're waiting, I'm going to ask okay. Robin a question here. A weird question from Meg P. No question is weird, Meg. Uh, and it, it's a good thing you wrote it down because like my mother, you could have forgotten it but before I you remember. asked it. The second uh, so ask your question, Carm. Please. Okay. Um, when you when you work, you worked on deprogramming people, correct? Yes. Uh, it's a kind of, in my perception, it's kind of a moral dilemma. Uh, 
if somebody imagines that he is Napoleon Bonaparte and then you kind of make him understand that he isn't, uh, in a certain way, you can lead that person, you know, into a very deep depression afterwards. And I was wondering if you encountered this when you're working with deep programming uh, and and you run into these types of problems that the fantasy was so much more alive and strong than reality, which is very mundane. And uh... Rick, she's asking if you kill people with realism. <laughs> That's the Not short that I'm aware of, no. And, <laughs> and deep programming is really just, it's an educational process where you're talking to someone about influence techniques, coercive persuasion techniques. You're examining the dynamics of the group, paralleling them to, for example, Lifton's A Criteria or Robert Cialdini, who wrote the book Influence, His Six Principles of Influence. And then you're, you're giving other illustrations of uh, destructive cults historically and asking the question over and over again, is that like your group? Is that like your leader? Uh, would you acknowledge that there is such a thing as a destructive cult? What would be a destructive cult to you? And they might say Charlie Manson or Jim Jones or David Koresh. And then you begin to examine, as I do in my book, those histories. And then you say, well, why is your group exhibiting that same kind of behavior? And then at the end, what you want is for the person to independently and critically think their way out. You want to stimulate that critical thinking that has been shut down by the group and get them to think again. And then, yes, it can be painful to realize that you've been had uh, and that you've been manipulated. But at the same time, it offers you a way out. And uh, in most cases that I've dealt with, uh, being out of the group is better than being in the group. And many of the people have suffered in these groups. And the only reason they stayed was they felt that there was some kind of supernatural imperative, that God would be angry if they left or something like that, or that they would be damned if they left. When they realized that they're free and that the restraints were only the concoction of the leader in the group, I think that is a pathway for them to a better life. Uh, needless to say, they're going to need counseling and they're going to examine what vulnerabilities were used by the group to, to recruit them and, and, and how they can protect themselves for the future. But I think all in all, uh, it's better to be out of the cult. And, and Rick, is it, is it possible for any member of a cult to be deprogrammed? And uh, coupled with that, um, do you think someone has tried to deprogram Lori or is she deprogrammable at this point right now? Well, I think she is deprogrammable. I mean, to a certain extent, uh, she if if she is unplugged from Chad Daybell and he can no longer reinforce his programming, his indoctrination, that's one step in the right direction. I mean, that's what happened to Charlie Manson's girls. Once he couldn't talk to them anymore and their families could visit them, they began to decompress and they began to... Uh, re-examine what had led them to that place uh, of imprisonment. So I think that, yes, there is hope for Lori Vallow, uh, though I suspect she's going to spend probably the rest of her life in prison. And there is this incredible 
need to rationalize and deny the reality of what happened because to face it is very painful. I mean, she would have to face the reality that she was a party to the murder of her own children. Uh, Robin, this question I was coming to you with before, um, but sometimes Sunday nights with Carm take uh, weird and interesting turns like cults. Uh, weird question uh, and may have been answered before, but does this make Lori and Chad possible serial killers? Um, I mean, it's a t difficult question to answer because we don't know uh, if they're even convicted of these crimes yet. But assuming that they were somehow responsible, uh, does this... Um, from your time at the FBI, make them potentially serial killers? I think the easier analogy is make them more like a mob boss. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they, I'd call them enterprise killers is what they are. So the, the methodology and the rationality of it, it's a little bit different. Kind of going back to the just a question a second ago, I've known a few people that have been deprogrammed from white supremacy and they've spent then the rest of their lives atoning for those behaviors during those times. Um, so yeah, so very painful evolution back out of climbing back out of that dark place that they realized that they had a face one day, but yeah, they spent the rest of their lives atoning for it. You said white supremacy, but Carm's then, hand went right but, up. But then you see, then they were missionaries in, in white supremacy. Mm -hmm. There is, in fighting white supremacy, uh, they need some kind of a cause uh, to attach themselves to uh, after they uh, were deprogrammed. In other words, like in, in search of meaning. I mm -hmm. think all, a lot of this is in search of me meaning. People are desperately looking for meaning in life. Victor Frankl's In Search of Meaning. It was a favorite book of my Absolutely. father and yeah, and Robin Drake. Um, look at this, Carm, and then we're going to let the doctor, uh, I know she has to get going in a couple of minutes, but Barbara Curran, Carm, to me, I love how much, Joel, you love and respect your mother. Carm is a beautiful soul. Uh -oh. For once I wasn't yelled at. For once I wasn't yelled at. Um, Dr. Lieberman, so back to Melanie Gibb here. Um, I would ask you about the relationship Carmen and I have, but you only have five minutes, so I'll stick to, uh, <laughs> stick to Melanie Gibb. So Melanie Gibb admittedly said that her and Lori Vallow became, quote-unquote, fast friends in 2018. That was in Arizona after meeting at a church event. Uh, but once um, Lori met Chad Daybell, she said that Lori completely changed she would completely parrot Chad's teachings and insert them into her own life. Um, and it goes on here. I'm curious about this. Um, Melanie Gibb was concerned, was said she was concerned with Lori's behavior. She was exhibiting beliefs that seemed out of the ordinary with the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and telling people that Charles Vallow was possessed by a spirit named Ned. Uh, she was calling this guy Ned. Um, again, I'm just trying to understand how Chad was able with the personality that he seems to possess, um, how he was able to captivate her. Um, I just don't understand it. Do you? How he was able to captivate Lori? Correct. Because he was the big cheese. 
in the movement in, you know, no matter how many people it had, he had written all these books. He had a publishing company for these books, you know, his self-publishing. Um, his wife was the, was helping him with that. Um, so in their crowd, you know, he was the big cheese and there's, that's a phenomenon that always happens. Um, you know, that power, men with power are always uh, very attractive to women. And there are always, there's always this competition amongst women to get the leader, you know, um, of, of a group, uh, like the president, so to speak, of your particular group to get them for yourself, because get him for yourself, because, um, because, excuse me, that makes you more powerful. That makes you the special one. Um, you're the one who's the most attractive, who's the most you know, the sexiest, the uh, most charming, all of that, because if the big cheese picks you, then you're special. And uh, doctor, I know you have to get going. So, uh, um, you know, I don't know, do you want to stick, can you stick around a little bit longer or are you? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I don't know how long you're planning on going. <laughs> We're going to go probably about another 20 minutes. Well, you just uh, head on off uh, whenever you need to, but uh, we love having you here. Um, I thought my mother wrote this message. It's not until I see people's lips move that I realize my volume is off, but lo and behold, it is from Lady Claymore. Uh, Rick, to you, this always, I mean, this creeps me out a little bit that um, Lori was telling people uh, that Charles Vallow was possessed by a spirit named Ned. Where does this come from? Um, I mean, she could have said by a spirit named Hank. So what is the, I mean, what is the thinking here? What What is going on in trying to, uh, you know, deconstruct what is going on in these people's heads? Well, Chad Daybell told her that. I mean, that was his pitch. You know, your husband is possessed, get rid of him and be with me. And even though he was, I dare say, a nebishy guy, I mean, this guy was like, you, you think of the word nebish, this is the guy. But then keep in mind that Keith Ranieri was also a nebbish, the leader. Nebbish of is nerd in Yiddish. For yeah, audience. you know, I mean, total nerd. And and listen, speaking as somebody who met Keith Ranieri, the guy, he was anything but uh, charismatic. I mean, he even smelled bad. The guy didn't like to take take a shower, and yet he had celebrities, these beautiful women that, just like the doctor said. It was the aura of his power. It was that he was the, the philosopher king. Uh, they called him Vanguard. So in the same way, uh, Chad Daybell cast himself as a Latter-day prophet, as a key pivotal prophet for the end times. And this was uh, the vulnerability of Lori Vallow, was that she wanted to be special and she wanted to be exalted. And he told her what she wanted to hear, which is what many cult leaders will do. I mean, that's their seduction. I mean, I think of a cult leader as being like a con man. Only the only difference between a cult leader and a con man is a con man usually takes the money and skips town. But a cult leader runs the same con on the same people indefinitely. And that's what I see Chad Daybell as, as Keith Ranieri, con men. Interesting. Uh, three grandsons says, hello, everyone from New Jersey, which is where 
we hail from. It's actually a Jersey accent my mother has. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, I have to I have to bring up a, a, an interesting little tidbit that I kind of enjoyed reading about. One of the uh, um, Lori told one of her friends that Charles, her fourth husband, was possessed now by a demon called Ned, and the friend asked her, "How do you know?" And she said. He is shorter. <laughs> I guess I guess that's the answer right there. Um, look at this, Rick Allen Ross. Sensory combustion about Rick Allen Ross. This guy is amazing. That's why we have the best guests. Hashtag best guests. We don't have hashtag mediocre guests. We have hashtag uh, best guests. So, Dr. Lieberman, back to you for a moment because I know your time is limited here. Um, I, You know, you can almost begin to understand a lot of this. Uh, Melanie Gibb went on to say that Lori and Chad started to call people who they felt had dark spirits. They would call them zombies. We know all that. Um, but then uh, Melanie Gibb said Lori Vallow began making comments about her own son, J.J. Vallow, uh, albeit he was adopted, uh, but uh, still her son. Uh, and she would said she said he would say things. So this is now confusing because it's Melanie uh, relaying what Lori would say. And Lori would say things like uh, that the boy would say, I love Satan, and he would climb up on the cabinets and the refrigerator. Uh, my question to you is, it's all fine and well to join a cult and to sort of be possessed and, you know, gung-ho, but where is it in the human psyche that she loses it to the point that she now is so involved that she's able to rid the world of her two children because of it. Yes. Um, you know, it, it really is amazing that she was so much more, um, she wanted so much more to go off into the sunset with Chad that she was willing to sacrifice her children. Now, JJ um, was autistic. He had special needs. And he um, was getting more difficult to take care of. You know, Lori, even without, she had never met Chad. Um, she is not, I mean, I know people said she was a good mother, but uh, I think as JJ was getting older and getting a little more difficult to deal with, yes, he was climbing over the refrigerator and so on, um, that she, even if Chad hadn't existed, I think, I'm not saying that she would have killed J.J., but um, certainly she was losing patience with J.J. And um, entirely, you know, they had some problems in their relationship, too. And so, it, it, of course, she wanted to get rid of them to, uh, so that she could go off into the sunset with Chad. But I think it was because it, they, the relationships were getting too difficult for her. She didn't have the patience to be there, such a good mother anymore to them. Yeah. and. Uh uh, Robin, to you, uh, there was another, this is um, another person uh, that was sort of in the inner circle, uh, said that Lori believed her children, and I quote here, were cockroaches controlled by a parasite. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Robin, you're a behavior analysis guy. How can your behavior change that much to believe that about your children? I can understand believing it about an ex-spouse, even a current spouse mm -hmm. in my life, but what about your children? <laughs> I don't think it's a change in how she thought about them. I think her her show she put on was a show. 
And and as soon as her children, one adopted and and, and the other entirely became more of a center of attention than she was getting i think that changed their her entire dynamic as she's looking at them i think she is so self-centered that during this entire thing when people are on the phone with her accusing her of these things she she keeps bringing it back to me she says you don't know what i've been going through i've been laying on the floor here i mean so they're talking about her dead children and she yet she still goes back to her I, i think i still think it's i don't think she's ever a great mother i think she put on a great show i don't you know i she didn't take the 22 point test uh, of of psychopathy according i don't know it cuz i'm not a, i'm not licensed in this but if she's edging up anywhere towards psychopathy she puts on a show for manipulation 100% she's been a liar her entire life and i think she's lying about that i love that take by robin Drake, a marine who uh a no nonsense kind of guy. I love that take. Um, Could uh, be wrong. <laughs> Rick Allen. <laughs> Rick Allen. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doctor. Well, we're talking about her children because this is really fascinating. Tylee uh, apparently had all kinds of illnesses as, as she was going on. And, um, and operations and all kinds of things. And so I think that um, that Lori was um, had Munchausen's by, by proxy. She, that is where you create um, these disorders in your children, and so that you can have an excuse to bring them to the hospital or to bring them to a doctor and to get attention for them, which is really attention for you as the parent. And so that's another little added. Um, you know, tidbit uh, about their relationship that I think is just fascinating. And the other interesting tidbit with Kylie is that she is overweight. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes her less threatening to her mother by being more attractive than the mother as she's becoming a a young uh, woman. you're saying that as a positive. Is it a negative? Did she no, look- and she didn't plan this, but she she just created this with her body as a uh, as a. No, but what I'm saying is, but did Lori look down upon this? Is that your take? No, but at the same time, she wasn't threatened because she has to be the center of attention, uh, uh. and her daughter is now not uh, going mm-hmm. to be attracting the men. A beautiful young seventeen uh, year old is overweight and doesn't look right. Carmela going deep with the psychoanalysis there. That's interesting. Right. That's, that's an interesting point. Um, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, Rick, to you, uh, back to you. Um, so this same friend, Melanie Gibbs, she tried to step in at this point here, Rick. She says to Lori, your salvation is in trouble. I believe you have been deceived by Satan. He has tricked you. Uh, Tammy Daybell dies and then your husband died. And then uh, he's missing. I think they're talking about the child. It doesn't sound like God's plan to me. In my gut, she says, it feels weird. Was this a um, sort of a cry for for help from Melanie Gibb that fell on deaf ears? Yeah, I think Melanie Gibb had very serious uh, concerns about what was going on. She suspected that things were really bad and that that they were going to get worse. But I think uh, what the doctor said about Melanie, I would, I would agree with from watching her interviews, is that she also regarded herself as very special and that she, was, uh, she had a kind of spiritual thing that made her very unique. 
and I think there was this sense of competition for who would be in the spotlight and who would be the chosen. But on the other hand, I think as things got darker and darker, she had uh, the good sense to bail. I mean, she recognized that this was really getting out of hand. Uh, and I and it's it's very sad that she was not able to help her friend or persuade her. But I think as as Lori Vallow dug herself in deeper and deeper, uh, that she just couldn't face reality. She couldn't face the idea that she had gone this far and it had been for nothing. And I, I see this in cult members over and over again. Shout out to Andy, Andy School. Shout out to Jimmy and, and Jeannie C. And Carmela. Sulema, on the other hand, she was asked, why did you believe in all this? She says, you cannot question if somebody can communicate with deity or, or you know, the veil is lifted. I'm learning all these expressions. The veil is lifted and you can communicate. She's saying the veil, by the way. The veil, I have to yeah. translate sometimes. Sometimes it translates from English to English. <laughs> um, so uh, they, they also were confused a little because some of the origins of all these Things in a different variation existed in the primary religion, and this was just bastardizing the 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 other religion, the other religious precepts. So they they felt that they, for example, there is a unbelievably weird to me uh, thing that uh, Chad gave Laurie a portal. And I, maybe I read too much. I have too much free time. But this portal was inside a closet. He made a space for her. And anytime she wanted to communicate with Chad spiritually and they weren't together, she just had to go into this closet and, and communicate uh, spiritually inside the closet with him. Rick, why didn't she just say this is totally friggin' crazy? There's no such thing as a portal. I'm not going into and a closet. And the other women believed in this. Why, Rick? Because, because this wasn't something that happened uh, quickly. This was a process. I mean, it was in increments. Uh, just like the Nexian women who were who were tortured by Keith Raniere. I mean, he had a, a doctor uh, brand them with a cauterizing iron. And when they were asked, how could you submit to that? I mean, you had no anesthetic. It was horrible. How could you submit to that? The answer that they gave me and the answer they gave others was that this was not something that happened overnight. This was a process of pulling me in deeper and deeper in increments. And uh, this is what I think Chad Daybell did. And he was a master manipulator. I'll give him that. I mean, he was able to basically take Mormon teachings and and use them in a way that he would juxtapose himself as an authority. And he would say, I'm, I, am, I am God's elect. I am the prophet. I am like uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young. I am the prophet. And if you disagree with me, you disagree with God. So you can't disagree with me, accept what I tell you, accept the idea of the portal, accept each and every teaching that I give you, because I'm not, I'm not giving this to you 
from me. It's coming from God. And if you question it, you're questioning God. Uh, Rick, can you just elaborate a little bit? Because there are a lot of people um, who you know, are practicing Mormons who are watching this, um, and they get upset because they think that there is a a link here. I actually had a Mormon on the show who said that, no, there is a link because this is the church that they were affiliated with it, uh, with, but can you just explain or elaborate how this cult was way off center from what this, uh, structured religion of Mormonism is? Well, the Mormon church includes millions of people. They have a government it's ecclesiastical. They have the first council of the presidency. They have the first quorum of the 70, second quorum of the 70. I mean, it's a completely different situation with checks and balances within that government system. And I think that the way Chad Daybell manipulated Mormonism and the Book of Mormon is the same way that Jim Jones manipulated the Bible and David Koresh manipulated the Book of Revelation. For us to say that Chad Daybell is an indictment of Mormons would be the same as us saying that Jim Jones is an indictment of Christianity. Uh, so every major religion has these uh, schismatic groups, these splinter groups that break away and follow a charismatic leader or a not so charismatic psychopath like Daybell. And I don't think it's an indictment of those religions. It just is a proof of how these leaders use religion to imbue them with authority. And, and that kind of authority uh, allows them to, you know, have power over the people that follow them. And whenever those people question anything, they immediately invoke that power and authority in order to, you know, quell their criticism, quell their critical thinking. And uh, Dr. Lieberman, to you, I mean, in very broad terms, because Rick Allen Ross has talked about it more specifically, but if someone came to you and said, hey, Dr. Lieberman, um, what kind of person joins a cult? Um, who do you think is uh, more likely to fall prey? What, what personality type? Uh, what kind of person? A man, a woman, both, um, and, and why? Well, it's people who are troubled, um, who have had a troubled childhood, who are feeling alone in the world, um, who don't have any guiding principle, um, you know, that they could look to as being, uh, well, as being something that is not like a cult. I mean, you know, I don't believe this, but I believe that. Um people who have been hurt, injured people, psychologically injured people, emotionally injured people. Uh, I mean, that's how, for example, Scientology, you know, um, the people that get wrapped up in that are people who are, um, who need someone to tell them what to do, who um, are feeling at their wits end, um, just totally lost and, and, you know, and they're promised such, such great things. And, you know, like they have these parties and so on um, to get people to come. To, I'm talking about Scientology. Um, to get people to come to where they, you know, make people feel really welcome and they uh, give them a sense of, of some kind of, um, that they, they appreciate them, that they're, they're, they're good. Build up their self-esteem, basically. So people who need that, uh, are much more vulnerable to these kinds of cults. 
And uh, Dr. Lieberman, you live in, in the world of uh, celebrities, glitz and glam in Hollywood. Are, are celebrities more susceptible maybe because they're uh, kind of attention seekers by nature? It's so interesting. You wouldn't think, I mean, that celebrities would fall for these things because they don't, you, you would think they don't need their uh, self-esteem to be shored up by a cult. Um, but, but, you know, a cult like Scientology makes the celebrities, um, you know, really special. They have all these special things for celebrities. So, and in fact, when people become like, it's mostly actors, um, people who become actors are looking for, have been deprived of love and attention as children, which is why they become actors in the first place. They need people applauding for them. So Scientology uh, treats them special, you know, uh, gives them special treatment and it makes them feel like they're going to be like uh, on a higher level in the cult than other people who are in it. So yes, they fall for it too. And, uh, and then of course that's really sad because a lot of people who admire these actors or celebrities for who they are, you know, because they're good actors or some talent that they have, um, then that induces other people to join the cult because, oh, well, if, if uh, so-and-so, you know, thought it was a good idea, then who am I to say it's not? And uh, we'll wrap in a few minutes. Uh, Dr. Lieberman has more, been more than gracious with her time. Another question. For, actually, time is flying by today. Time flies when you're having yes. fun, Carm. Mountain Girl 585 writes, question for Carm. It seems like there is a trend going mm -hmm. on with parents mm -hmm. killing their children. What are your thoughts? Don't worry, Joel. Um, we just came off the it's, Alec Murdoch trial. It's too trial. late already. <laughs> Kobe wasn't killed because he moved away. He's Joel too, moved away also. Otherwise, she'd think about it. Um, <laughs> Carm, what's going on? Is the world getting crazier, Carm? No, it's not. It, why not? It's 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 sort of the same. I don't think it's. I don't think that there is more. Uh, matricide. I'm worried more about matricide. <laughs> Speaking of mattresses, uh, matricide. Uh, Dawn, Dawn, I won't even say her last name because I can't pronounce it. Question for Rick. Do cult leaders really believe what they are selling to others or is it only for their minions to drink the Kool-Aid so the leaders can profit, Rick? Well, you know, that's a good one. I think that uh, I dealt with David Koresh over a period of years. And I think he became delusional in the end. Uh, there was a time when I think he was just a con man trying to get sex and money out of his followers. I think the same thing with Keith Ranieri. He went from bad to worse. And at the end, I think he was fairly delusional and he believed in his own stories, his own lies. I think that's when leaders of cults become dangerous. When they are delusional, they're detached from reality, and they have a group of people who depend upon them to make value judgments for them and to determine what is right, what is wrong. And when you're, you're hitched to a locomotive like that and it goes off the tracks, you're in trouble. So many of these leaders are deeply troubled people. Uh, most of them, uh, in my experience, are psychopaths. I remember once asking the eminent psychologist, Margaret Singer, who you know studied cults for many, many decades. I asked her, do you think David Koresh is a psychopath? And she said, Rick, 
they're all psychopaths. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's the kind of person that leads a cult is someone who's at bare minimum, a narcissist, a malignant narcissist, someone who's sociopathic, who doesn't really have a moral compass, no conscience, because they hurt people to make a living. And, uh, when someone is doing that, what kind of person are they? Not very good people. Marshall Dove, right on cue. Just watched the Warren Jeffs doc, which I had not seen yet, on Netflix, and Rick Ross was on it. it was great, so check it out. I did not even know that, so I will definitely uh, take a look. Uh, there's one other person we have not mentioned at all. That is Melanie uh, Boudreau, uh, who is the former uh, niece, I guess. Why, why former? She's well. Uh, they were divorced. No, Lori. She is Lori. Uh, Niece. She's going to try to show, no, show everyone know, that. But this, I was, I was thinking of bringing this up, and then I said there is no time for it. But it's very fascinating. Her divorcing husband that she was leaving. You're talking about Melanie Boudreaux? Yes. Okay. His name is Brandon. Brandon Boudreaux. Boudreaux correct. Uh, they tried to kill him. And there was a very interesting detective story part, part of it where they they used a station wagon where they had to take off the spare tire in order to introduce the gun to shoot the guy. Well, they missed, they didn't. And they, and uh, one of the witnesses in the trial was a detective who was watching them taking off the tire, putting it into storage, and after the shooting, going back in the storage, and I'm trying to abridge and simplify this story because it's sort of peripheral, but they, they, they have witnesses uh, who saw them trying to destroy the evidence, so to speak, and using this uh, public storage space to hide the tire and then putting it back on the car. From this, I conclude, and Lori was involved with it, and Chad, and this is the criminal part of, this is not only directing it through other people, uh, the murders and so forth, they were doing it themselves. And I don't even know what was their motivation <laughs> to kill this bulldog. Do you know why they wanted to? I, I, I think they, they wanted want money. I think that uh, Boudreaux had a life insurance policy with a with a big payout, Tammy uh, Daybell. I think they that Chad got four hundred thousand out of that insurance policy. Vallo, I think, had a million dollar insurance policy, mm -hmm. and so a lot of this was uh, basically Chad Daybell and probably Lori thinking this is we're going to be rich. And Brandon was not willing to sign off on his wife being involved in this. He was fighting it. And so he would be the next to go. And when Tammy died, she was having doubts about her husband and in particular about their publishing business. So I think that as people lost devotion to Chad Daybell or, or, or were unsympathetic to his plan, he basically targeted them. And if they had life insurance, all the better. It all comes down to the money. Okay, here is the real disturbing part of this story. Uh, we had a very respectable uh, attorneys on the on the program. I wasn't on, but I watched, and they said 
they may not even have enough uh, to correct. They might. Wendy Murphy, who is a was at one time a scholar, a visiting scholar at Harvard Law, now teaches at New England Law. A very bright woman says she's not sure at this point in the trial if there's enough evidence uh, to convict. Uh, on murder. Uh, people were not happy to hear that. That's her opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. The conspiracy question uh, was still up in the air for her. So there could be, as they love to say in news, a bombshell. But uh, I think overwhelmingly right now, the circumstantial evidence is just uh, just too strong. Just a quick side note. I am a, a big studier of TV news and punditry as a former news guy. And um, I throw things at the TV and I throw things a lot when Anderson Cooper's on because he takes 97 minutes to get one question out after doing it for 30 years. And the only person I think who takes longer, Carm, might be you, but he's getting paid. I am so desperate for you to be on his show. I should. Holocaust Remembrance Day. I want you to get him on. There will be one question and it won't even be answered in the entire eighth. AC 360. Uh, Frankie Figs, a friend of the show, she asked, Rick, is Scientology a cult? Oh, boy. In my opinion, uh, it fits the criteria of a destructive cult, which are three core criteria that form the nucleus for that definition, which is number one, an absolute authoritarian leader. Check. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, now David Miscavige. Uh, two, that the group has a a, uh, a process of indoctrination that basically uh, is parallel to thought reform, coercive persuasion to gain undue influence, and that members act against their own best interests, but consistently in the best interests of the group. In my opinion, Scientology does that to the nth degree. They have like a machine that, th that Hubbard constructed that is very redundant in its control of the people in my opinion. And then finally, does the group do harm? And that varies by degree from group to group, but I would say Scientology from the complaints that I've received and from the documentation that I've read has hurt a lot of people. And uh, we will start to wrap this up as much fun as I'm having. I could stay here all day with my lovely mom, uh, the clean cut fellow with the Marine insignia, I believe behind his left shoulder. That is Robin Dreek. <laughs> best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, executive coach, podcast host, Marine Corps officer. I bet you, Robin, I bet you, I bet you this guy's more disciplined than me. I have a funny feeling he's up early and, and working hard. Uh, he's also the author of The Code of Trust, and it's not all about me. How about this question, uh, Robin, to uh, close things out and get your final thoughts uh, from Jennifer M. Do you think Lori was the first woman Chad used the goddess pickup line on or was Lori just the first to fall for it? Probably not the first, just because, as we've been pointing out throughout this, very rarely, and if ever, does someone go from zero to 100. It's a, it's a, it's a slow build. He would have built up to that um, through lots of trial and error throughout his life and through his experiences of being a cult leader as he's practicing. So, no, I don't think it was his first, first rodeo. And uh, Sally Vela here, Rick. Why do they all want to die or kill someone else and say it's for a higher cause when if that's what it was, wouldn't it happen on its own instead of making it happen like Sarah and Abraham? Are there cults that exist where people are just happy and run through sunflowers all day? 
Yeah, there are there are some groups that, in my opinion, would fit the uh, criteria of being a, a cult in the sense that they have this charismatic leader and the leader has a, a form of indoctrination that uh, sets a mindset as an end product, but that they do no harm. There have been a number of groups like that. My favorite is a group in Arizona uh, called Arcosante, led by the architect Paulo Solari. And he had a philosophy called arcology, and people would work on this never-ending city that he was building north of Phoenix. But he never hurt anybody. And people could come and go. They could say, I just want to go. I have other ideas. I mean, one tip-off that you're in a cult is there's no legitimate reason to leave, according to the group, and that anyone who leaves is uh, seen in a negative light. Contrary to that, at, at Arco Sante, people were welcomed back for reunions, for parties. Uh, so there can be a charismatic leader with a following, and the leader is benign. But sadly, in my experience, when someone has absolute power, it, as they say, corrupts absolutely. And these leaders may, at times, start off with good intentions. But then uh, once they become drunk on power, it, it gets out of hand. Shout out to Copper Horse in New Jersey. Uh, real quick, Rick, and then we'll we'll wrap it up with the doctor too. Uh, what is the difference slash definition between religious and cult? Well, a cult is predicated on worship of a leader. The leader becomes an object of worship. And when that leader is not present, when that leader dies, many cults just disintegrate. So it's all about a person, not about a belief system. And it's the charisma of that person that is the binding glue of the group. And so a religion is a belief system. And, you know, people will say to me, well, you know, wasn't Jesus a cult leader? Wasn't Moses a cult leader? And my answer to that is no, not by my measurement, certainly not a destructive one. I mean, Jesus didn't own anything and lived a life of... Uh, you know, just no interest in, in monetary wealth or worldly power. And Moses admitted that he kind of failed and didn't walk into the promised land. I mean, he made mistakes and he acknowledged them. So I think that cult leaders are a different breed. Uh, they are never wrong. They are always right. And uh, they're, they're destructive. And they are not like the religious leaders uh, that created the major religions that we admire today. Lady Claymore, I didn't put the comment up, so I want to get to this comment. It says, Carm uses foul language. I love her even more now. She oh, sure no. does. You have no idea. Did I use any today? No idea. Uh, my three-year-old says that on the logo, she wears a tape don't, over her don't, mouth. And she likes don't embarrass. <laughs> the book's I, coming out, Carmel. The book will be out in a year, Carm. There's I nothing you can do. He's writing a book just to embarrass Dr. Carol, it's your memoir, Carm. You're famous. Doctor Dr. Carol Lieberman is better known as America's psychiatrist. She's a three-time honoree by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Daytime Emmy Awards. She was a host of Dr. Carol's Couch. She's been on every show on planet Earth. I still host Dr. Oh, Carol's still, Couch. Oh, okay. What, what does she host? Uh, a show called Dr. Carol's Couch. And she uh, has been on Oprah. You're not on Larry King Live anymore. I know that. But I, I did love Larry. And by the way, Larry King was a master at three-word questions. And he listened 
and he was great at what he did. May he rest in peace. Um, this question, Jennifer Castaldi, question to the panel, question to Dr. Lieberman, as far as the possible rise in calls, what would you attribute it to? I'm not sure. Obviously, Rick would know the answer to that. But just in general, uh, Dr. Lieberman, is the world on edge right now more than it has been in the past, in your view? Yes, we talked about this earlier in the show. Yeah. Um, you know, short-term memory loss. <laughs> I was talking about, well, no, maybe she wasn't tuned in at the very beginning. Um, you know, I think we're in a very strange existential time. The uh, Not only is this because of all the division in our country, um, you know, politics and race and everything else, but um, also because of uh, COVID and lockdowns. And, uh, you know, we're, we were told there's going to be the new normal after the lockdowns. And really, people still don't know what the new normal is. There isn't something that we can look at and say, this is the new normal. And then, of course, the cancel culture. There are all these crazy things going on in the world. Cults are just one of the crazy things. But with all the cancel culture and all of that, people are just so confused that it's more it's easier to believe a cult leader because they're telling you what the, what it is they're telling you how the world is and so if you just believe them you can feel safe in that little cult shout out to bella michelle jersey girl i love it she says new to the channel best true crime on youtube from haddonfield new jersey joel factoid i played tennis against haddonfield in new jersey high school tennis in 1985 and I lost. Uh, they were among the best tennis team in the in the great state of New Jersey. Uh, he has a 27-page resume. Uh, he is the preeminent thought leader on cults. I had to trim it down to uh, just a few sentences. Rick Allen Ross is a cult intervention specialist. He is frequently a court expert witness concerning groups called cults. He was contacted by the grandparents of JJ, which we discussed last time. So as you know and can tell, he knows this case intimately. And he is the founder and executive director of the Cult Education Institute and the author of Cults Inside Out. So check it out uh, and read that uh, book, Cults Inside Out. Jennifer M. Rick, why are some people so preoccupied with the end of days? Why? I think oh. I'm going to, I think this is going to be the end of my day. All right. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great night. Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I think it's a useful tool for, for cult leaders to, to leverage control and power. And it's certainly part of a mainstream religion talking about the end of the world, whether it's the Mormons, the, uh, Jewish people talking about the Messiah coming or Christians talking about the prophecies in the book of Revelation. So in my mind, it's a tool that is used by these leaders. And, and I think a common narrative thread that I've seen with people that are scooped up by cults is that at the time that they were approached, which may have been by a relative, a romantic interest, a co-worker, someone they trusted, they were not happy. They were going through a rough patch. And we all go through rough patches. And at that point, we're vulnerable, whether it's to an abusive controlling relationship or a destructive cult. And that's why we really have to be careful when we're in a vulnerable state. Uh, but 
but I think people have always been fascinated with the end times uh, eschatology of different religions, and cult leaders always play upon what are popular themes in popular culture in order to be that bright, shiny thing to lure people in. Very interesting. Shelly T, uh, Rick, another quick question for you now that we have you. Uh, had they not been stopped, do you think their cult would have led to polygamy? It, it, it wasn't necessarily going in that direction. I mean, Daybell was countenancing other marriages, as you've mentioned, uh, but he certainly was, uh, was the king of the group, such as it was. And I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't rationalize something like that if he wanted to. I mean, the point is that how do you disagree with a man who says he is the channel by which God is communicating to the world? And that is the way Daybell cast himself, as nerdy and nebbishy as he was. I think Laurie would have had a hard time with the divided attention, though. That's what I think would have been coming to a head. And Robin, what do you think of this comment here from Ruth Romero? Laurie would have blown up uh, her life with or without Chad, Robin. True or false? I agree. She was on that path. Again, when you look at people's arc in their lives, it, it it's a pretty steady pattern. And she started that pattern of, of unhealthy relationships and unhealthy behavior at a very, very young age. And again, fifth marriage and lots of craziness going on with all these relationships. And they haven't said it. But again, I keep going back to it's odd to lose a sibling in 1998. And that's the first death that started occurring around her life, and it just continued from there. So I think it was an arc of her life that it was going to eventually blow up in some way, yes. And uh, Andy School is a friend of the show, Rick. So, uh, And I think you may have addressed this a little bit, but is this not the same as with uh, Jim Jones coasting hundreds to another country, a small area quite isolated, where he had all believing he was the all-knowing prophet sent to save them? They drank the Kool-Aid. Same thing here. Did they drink the Kool-Aid? Well, yeah, Jim Jones was under scrutiny in San Francisco, where at one time he was a big deal. He was a celebrity preacher with a mega church. But after the media exposed many of his abuses, he grabbed his most devoted followers and basically skipped town to British Guyana, where he carved out this little enclave, this little community that came to be known as Jonestown. And when you cut people off like that, they had no access to newspapers, radio, television. The only thing they had was a public address system controlled by Jim Jones. So he was able to affect their perception of reality. Though in the end, not all of them drank the Kool-Aid. Many of them were murdered, certainly the children. There were more than 200 children that were murdered in Jonestown. But what we see over and over again with destructive cults is the leader and controlling the environment, finding a place of isolation, uh, encouraging people to cut off family and friends. And if you have a leader or a person in your life like that, uh, you might be a victim in trouble. And you should really take a step back, take a break, and think about it. Karma, I'm no narcissist, but look at this car comment from Barbara Vickers. Joel, you're a handsome guy. And then she says, thanks to your beautiful mother. So uh, <laughs> it's all about me, Carm. It's this all about only, me. This is only Saturday nights or um, Sunday nights. Sunday it's night. amazing how quickly thank you, thank it's you. amazing how quickly this went. Um, May I say something? 
This always happens. I wrap up the show and Carm, go ahead, Carm. No, you asked, you asked if uh, Rick and Robin were going to have dinner would, seven hours ago, but this, go ahead. If this would lead to uh, uh, bigamy, uh, and I was, I was expecting you to ask, will this would if it if it were to continue, would it have led to bigamy? And I'm thinking it would have left led to more murders. Yeah. Yeah. Only if he could have isolated him. I, I think that was his failing in this one was that the this this circle of friends kind of bringing it back to what you were saying at the beginning. They were still connected to the Church of Mormon, which I think really saved more people from getting killed because they're the ones that saw the incongruence between what he what Ch Chad was saying and what the church was saying exactly. and their red flags were going off and so because he didn't isolate them like Jonestown uh it was his undoing. Mm. Courtney writes, "Carm, I met I promise we're ending in a second. Carm, I met a Jewish woman last night and I talked about you for over an hour. She's a new STS fan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both so much." For keeping it what real. We love laughing? you, Carmen and Joel. What and then Courtney laughing? even gave us, a, I think this is called a super sticker. So thank you so much. What are you laughing? I'll tell you what you I'm laughing. Just say thank you. I'll tell you what I'm laughing about. Well, I'm actually not laughing. I'm bewildered. Um, our, our audience count continues to go up. It is very counterintuitive. If I turn this on and I saw me and you on YouTube, <laughs> I would immediately... Switch to another YouTube channel, but our count. Not I. I would see what craziness comes. Rick, of it. any thoughts about why that could possibly happen and why people are not immediately shutting this off, Rick? No, he's fishing for a uh, compliment. <laughs> Don't answer him. I think it's Hold on, let him answer. Let's not degenerate. Hold on, hold on, let him answer. Joel, Joel, yes. you can never question the power of a Jewish mother. Take <laughs> it from me. Take it from me. I had a Jewish mother and a and a bubby. <laughs> and the grandmother, and yeah, you can never, you can no, never, no, no. you it, can never discount their power. No, that, but but the truth is, the truth is that we, today we were unusually bizarre, the two of us. And on that note, because uh, the, the whole story is so bizarre. You know, you almost you start almost to absorb. Have to get yeah. bizarre to get into this story. You start. You start to absorb it all. Listen, a huge thanks goes out to Robin Dreek to uh, put up, put up, and deal with us. Thank you to Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank I you. would like Rob, Robin to come back. Robin to talk will, normally once he'll come back. <laughs> and uh, and Rick Allen Ross. Someone out there tell me that we that they have a better panel tonight. We might have the two craziest hosts, but there is no better panel tomorrow and this whole week. We are following the Lori Vallow Daybell trial live. We are. Hoping to have the good Lori on tomorrow night, defense attorney Tim Jansen, and we will fill up our docket as the week goes on. The trial could end as early as the end of this week, week five. Until then, love you, you, America. Thank you. I'm doing it now. Love you, America. <laughs> Until next time. Aquí estamos preguntando sobre supersticiones financieras. Bueno, en mi familia decían, si te pica la mano, no te la rasques porque viene dinero. Pero si quieres controlar tu presupuesto, hay una manera mucho más práctica. ¿En serio? Con el plan precio personal de State Farm, puedes crear un precio accesible solo para ti. Y sin aguantar picazón, me gusta. 
Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Llama para obtener una cotización hoy. Los precios varían según el estado. La elegibilidad para la selección de cobertura podría variar. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.